well, the plague is here. Yeah, had a whole bunch of people get sick, and some of them pretty seriously. Uh, I, my COVID experience has been very mild relative um, to what I've heard. Um, in fact, really the only thing that, I mean, I had a you know, sinus headache and then been coughing, uh, and then I lost my sense of smell. So that's that, which actually is kind of a good thing. Uh, the people who lost their sense of taste, that I that would just about kill me, because uh, I pretty much live for eating. Um, but losing my sense of smell smells all right. I uh, my son Soren, he's three. He's uh, he's potty training, and he he doesn't like to go poo, and so he holds it as much as he can, and that causes him to toot a lot. And so he says to me, I mean, we're snuggling where he's like, Daddy, I farted. And I'm like, this is awesome because I can't smell it. Let's go. Let's do this. So if I, I honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I, when I was grilling though, I couldn't smell the steak. So it's like, it's give and take. But uh, overall, I think I'd prefer not smelling. Uh, but it's starting to come back. So hopefully, hopefully I'll be uh, 100% here pretty soon. We're continuing our uh, series, Bad Religion. Um, it's, uh, it's based on uh, the, the iconic L.A. punk band, uh, Bad Religion. Uh, their lead singer, Greg Gra- uh, Graffin, is a famous atheist. And he, uh, he, he grew up believing, and still to some extent does, although he's much more cool about it now, uh, that, that religion itself is um, it's designed to oppress us. It's designed to hurt us in some ways. Okay, it's designed to make it so that uh, we cannot live our best life or whatever it is that the world says we're supposed to do. And to some extent, he's not wrong, but to a large extent, he is. He's terribly wrong. And if there's one person in world history who has been against bad religion, it's Jesus, the Lord himself. And so we've been going through this series showing how Jesus is looking at the way that, that bad religion is used to oppress. And he's like, no, let's be done with this. And let's do good religion, which is, which is the living of the eternal life of God now and into eternity. And so um, look at this text. This is from uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And uh, this is another, he's going to say another thing that, that really makes the bad religion people upset. So let's read it together. If you have your Bible, there's one in the pew. There's, uh, for those of you at home, if you've got your digital Bibles or your analogs, is Matthew 5. But Jesus called the crowd near and said to them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that contaminates a person in God's sight. It's what comes out of the mouth that contaminates the person. Then the disciples came to him and they said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you just said? Jesus replied, every plant my heavenly father didn't plant will be pulled up. Don't worry about the Pharisees. Don't follow them. They're blind people who are guides to blind people. And if a blind person leads another blind person, they both end up in a ditch. Instead, Jesus goes on. Never mind. Peter spoke up. Explain this riddle to us. We don't get it. Jesus, what are you talking about? Uh, What is the deal with the contamination in the mouth? And what's the deal about the ditch and the blind leading the blind? Jesus said, don't you understand yet? Don't you know that everything that goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the toilet? But what goes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that's what contaminates a person. That's what makes you unclean in God's sight. Out of the heart come evil plots, murders, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, false testimonies, and insults. These contaminate a person in God's sight. But eating without washing your hands or eating pork or doing those, that's, that's not what contaminates in God's sight. 
Well, this may not uh, sound initially to us like a, tr- a terribly offensive thing that Jesus is saying, but I assure you that it was about as offensive a thing as he could say to the, the people who practice bad religion around him. And uh, so going back to the text, the, the issue here is he says it's not what goes into the mouth that makes a person unclean or contaminated in God's sight. This is like a big slap in the face to pretty much all of Jewish religion at the time. At the time when Jesus said this, Jewish people were almost, uh, they were almost known for one very, well, two very specific things. One, they didn't eat certain foods, most notably pork. And two, they, they practiced the Sabbath. They didn't work every day of the week. And, and for Jews themselves, they understood that what made them holy or what made them clean was making sure that they avoided certain foods, certain things going into their mouth. And what they thought, they, they'd kind of lost, there's a reason for this, by the way, I've done sermons on this before, and if you're curious about it, um, there is a, a theological reasoning behind God's prohibiting certain uh, meals. But the, the Jewish people have forgotten by this time why God did that. And they actually have this like almost a magical, like they, they, they think there's something magically bad about, about bacon. Which is, which is clearly wrong. And this is, this is why the, all the world, uh, the ancient world, they looked at Jewish people as very odd, very strange. Because who would deliberately refuse pork for their entire life? That's crazy. Very difficult to do. Uh, we had um, some friends uh, from, from Israel uh, who've come out here to, <laughs> to uh, study at, at Bile. They're, they're Messianic uh, Jewish Christians. And they said the first thing they did when they got to America was eat bacon at every single meal. Because it's hard to get in Israel. It's not, not easy. And moreover, what the Pharisees thought is they thought, as soon as you eat this stuff, then you're no longer fit to worship God or to be with God's people. You're unclean. You have to be separated, excluded. So when Peter's like, are you aware that the Pharisees are offended? He's like, Jesus, you have really just stepped in it. Okay, this, this is going to go really badly for you because the Pharisees are the strictest and the, the, they, they follow the, the rules of the Old Testament the, very carefully. And, and they go so far as they, they, they come up with rules upon rules upon rules just to make sure that none of the rules ever get broken. So they add extra rules to protect the original rules. They're the kind of people who are really, 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 really good at church. Jesus says, Peter, don't worry about those guys. Just let them do what they're doing. They're blind, and the people who follow them are blind, and, and you're both going to end up in a pit if you, if you go their way. Now, what is exactly wrong about what the Pharisees do? Why, why, is it, why does he, Jesus use this very, like, very vivid image of falling into a pit? Well, I got a picture here of Shel Silverstein. You guys may remember him. When I was growing up, uh, I think I don't think we had any Shel Silverstein stuff in our house because I think the guy was like a total hippie or something. Uh, but my next door neighbors, the Eichlers, had all of Shel's, uh, his stuff, and so I would go over there to read, you know, the the, the bad man's funny stuff. Did you? Oh, by the way, did you know that uh, Shel Silverstein was not just a, a poet, but he was also a, a writer of songs. Do you know his most famous song that he wrote? A Boy Named Sue by Johnny Cash. Did you know that? 
Yeah, so Johnny Cash was not a, he was not like a, he wasn't a great uh, songwriter, and most of his stuff was written by June Carter Cash. But he, he found Shel Silverstein's song, A Boy Named Sue, and he made it super famous. So, there you go, Shel Silverstein. Anyway, uh, Shel Silverstein also wrote The Giving Tree, which is a very sad and depressing book about a kid who kills a tree. Um, but one of his, his, my favorite thing that, that, that Shel Silverstein ever wrote is, is this poem. It's from, I think, Where the Sidewalk Ends. It's called Almost Perfect. Almost perfect, but not quite. Those were the words of Mary Hume at her seventh birthday party, looking around the ribbon room. This tablecloth is pink, not white. Almost perfect, but not quite. Almost perfect, but not quite. Those were the words of grown-up Mary, talking about her handsome beau. The one she wasn't going to marry squeezes me a bit too tight. Almost perfect, but not quite. Almost perfect, but not quite. Those are the words of old Miss Hume, teaching in the seventh grade, grading papers in the gloom late at night up in her room. They never crossed their T's just right. Almost perfect, but not quite. 98, the day she died, complaining about the spotless floor. People shook their heads and quite sighed. Guess that she'll like heaven more. Up went her soul on feathered wings, out the door, up out of sight. And then another voice from heaven came. Almost perfect, but not quite. Mary Hume is a person who knows how the world is supposed to be. She's figured it out. She's figured out everything about the world, the way that it, it, it should be ordered, it should be set. And, and, and she spends her entire life criticizing all of the ways in which the world doesn't measure up to that. She, 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 she's, she's obsessed, intent on making sure that everything is just so, and no one can quite live up to the standards that she's created. Isn't it funny, at the end, Silverstein sort of editorializes, you know, God's up there, he's like, almost perfect, but not quite. You know, Mary Hume, no matter how, how much you did, no matter how perfect you set things, no matter how you arranged, and no matter what you did every day, no matter how many rules you followed, no matter how many rules you made, you're still not quite. Interestingly, one of the, one of the reasons that uh, Jesus uh, says that it's time to do away with the food laws is because by the time that he comes, uh, pork is cheap. And it's a, it's, a, it's a meal that the poor and the disabled can afford. And so many Jewish people would secretly eat um, this forbidden food because they needed to survive. And as soon as the Pharisees came, found out they immediately excluded them from worship and told everyone, don't associate with those people. They're not right. They're almost perfect. But not quite. Now, there's a way of living that it's not just the Pharisees who do this. Greg Graffin of Bad Religion is right. Christians can live this way. We can start to live this way where we, we, we start to get a sense of everything as, as it's supposed to be, right? And we say anything that's not in line with this vision of the world, that's sin, that's no good, you've got to stay away from that. And we create 
rules upon rules upon rules of things that really the Bible doesn't say a whole heck of a lot about. Like reading Shel Silverstein, Mom. Well, I mean, come on, you prevented me from this incredible... I had to go sneak art because we were worried about... Some people, some people worry about Harry Potter, right? Harry Potter, that's got magic, is the devil. I've heard about that. Interestingly, J.K. Rowling says she's a Christian. So, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that, but that's what she says. But what, what happens when you start to live this way, right? Like, you start to say, okay, I'm piling up the rules. You don't measure up. You don't measure up. You're not good. So at a certain point, you start to think, gosh, the only person who's got this is me. I'm pretty great. You know, like, I tithe 10%. I bet a lot of these people don't even give it all. Failures. I come every Sunday, even when the plague has hit Coast Bible Church, I still show up and try not to get COVID-19. There are people who sometimes only come once a month. Can you believe it? Ugh. I'm so successful because I work hard. I put in the hours. And there's so many lazy people around. They just, gosh, ugh. Glad I'm not them. When you start to live this way, this almost perfect but not quite kind of way, you end up in um, what I call the, the pit of pride. Or alternatively, this is what happens when people like the Pharisees take over, right? They get in charge, and they start judging everyone. Well, what everyone does immediately is they hide, right? They're ashamed. You're ashamed because, like, you know that you're not living up to the rules. But, but you got, by golly, you don't want anyone to find out because you want to make sure that you have, still have your friends. You want to be able to worship. You want to be able to do, So, so you, you cower in shame and fear that anyone might find out who the real you That's the first thing on your note sheets. Bad religion puts us in the pit of pride or shame. Because we think we've got it figured out, and we look and we see that no one else measures up to the rules we put in place. Well, that might sound bad, but uh, Jesus thinks it actually gets worse. Right? That's, not, that, that's already, I mean, far be it from, I, I don't want that kind of religion around here. Like, really, I really don't. Uh, that's depressing and sad, and, and it's just not a great way to live, I don't think. But the, the, what Jesus thinks, though, is it gets worse. He's like, it starts there, but then things get way, way worse. And what, so what does he say? He's like, he, he goes, uh, going back to, the, oh, the, those questions, don't worry about it. We'll do those later. Uh, Peter spoke up, explain this, don't you? And then Jesus says, don't you know that everything that goes in your mouth uh, goes into the stomach and comes out of the toilet? What Jesus is saying uh, is he's saying your body is actually cleaning the food for you. There's no perfect food in Jesus' mind. Uh, the perfect food would be the kind of food you consumed and wouldn't need any waste, right? Your body would use it perfectly. Uh, this and a few other texts is why uh, some of the church fathers believed that in uh, heaven... Or in the, uh, in, the, in the end of days, there will be no uh, genitalia on people. Because there will be no reason for us to need to uh, have... Isn't that interesting? Uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't think it is. I mean, I hope it's not. <laughs> Maybe I do. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. But 
That, that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the take is, is that the, the body itself is, is getting rid of anything that's contaminated, so we don't have to worry about it. Um, but what really contaminates, Jesus says, is what's in your heart. It's the words that come out of your mouth. If you want to know what makes you inappropriate or, or not fit to worship God and to be with God's people, it's the things that come out of your mouth. And that's an interesting point because notice the list of stuff he, he gives is not stuff that only comes out of the mouth, right? What does he say? It says evil plots, murders, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, false testimonies. That could also be, um, that could either be uh, gossiping about a person or it could be uh, lying about them in court, either one, probably both. And an insult. Well, okay, false testimonies and insults, yeah, that comes out of the mouth. That's something that's mouth-related. But murder? Hard to murder people with your tongue. Theft? Stealing? Well, Jesus understands something um, that... He understands something about the pit of pride. Because when you're in the pit of pride, remember, it's a, it's a lonely place. It's you and maybe a few others who, you know, have done whatever it is that you're supposed to do to be holy. Um, and, and when you're in this, this, this pit of pride, uh, what happens is you begin, you begin talking about all the people outside of the pit of pride. And you begin wondering, why can't they just straighten up and fly right? And you don't know it, but your heart's corrupted because you're, you've, already, you've already missed the boat. You don't, you're, you're, you're not following a God of uh, the real God because the real God's not the God of silly rules. Uh, instead, the, the real God is, is a God of gracious um, compassion and, and love. And so you've missed that. And, and, and so this corruption in your heart where everyone around you is just inferior, they're just not as good. Um, and at a certain point, you, be, you become really disappointed in them. And then at a certain point, you become really angry at them. And then maybe you start to realize these people can't be left to themselves. They're not good enough, and they're never going to be good enough. What they need, honestly, is me to come and straighten them out. Interestingly, uh, uh, evil plots there, you, depending on the translation, you'll get something like machinations or, or bad intentions. I think that evil plots is uh, kind of like, it's like the, there should be a colon after it. Here are all the, all the evil plots that come out of the heart that you put into language. Murder, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, uh, false testimony, gossip, and insults. I think that what Jesus is saying is he's like, he's like once your heart gets corrupted like this, you start spitting out evil plots that end up causing things like murder, adultery, etc. And, and you're doing it in, a, in, a, in, a, in an echo chamber with other people who agree with you or possibly alone. But either way, you start, yeah, that, you're right, you're right. I can't believe, I can't believe this. I can't believe, can, can you believe it? A divorce? Ugh. Can you believe these people? And you start to realize why we can't we can't let them do this. We've got to do something about it. There's a great quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. 
It's one of my favorites. It's from a, a collection of essays called God in the Dock. He says it's because he understands humans. He understands Pharisees. Of all, ty- of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most op- oppressive. It'd be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep, his cupidity may at some point be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will tor- torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. He's definitely thinking about religious people here because he says, look, they may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. There's something about pride that makes it so you can justify just about anything that you can do to others. Like, like anything. Especially religious pride. By the way, uh, bad religion. Um, Greg Graffin, I love you, man, but you don't have to be religious to, to be religious. If you're just committed to any... Um, any thinking or thought or ideology in the same way that religious people are committed to their religion, you're also religious. It just happens to be an atheist version of religion. Which is why I think uh, this, this quote, in, the, in, 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 our, in our current context, one of the groups of Pharisees we have in the United States of America are the people who are all in on being woke. They're like, they're like, they're just, the most important thing is policing everyone else's thoughts you know, opinions, whatever. And if you step out of line just a little bit, you're canceled. You ruin your family. You're a bigot. You're whatever. It's a very interesting, but, but are, isn't that kind of what it, they're omnipotent moral busybodies, right? They're going around and they've, they've come up with this, this insane set of rules about what you're allowed to think or not allowed to think. And then they police it and, and, and they send Twitter mobs to come, you know, they find you at your place of business. I'll, I'll get canceled for this. One of them will listen to this and be like, he's a bigot, and then go to the board of elders and tweet, tweet to them that we got to get rid of Tom, and that's, that's what the, my career's over. Right? That's how it works. But, but isn't that what they're doing? They're, they, and, 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 and it's not like, it's not like they, they worry about me because they're like, this is for your own good. If you don't think exactly like us, you are out of sync with the universe. We absolutely must stop you. In religious contexts, it's, it's the same thing with different stuff, right? Well, if you read this book, or watch this movie, or listen to this, or eat that, or what, it, what, if you start doing those things and you're out of line, you don't fit here, you don't belong, and we're gonna make sure that we smash your square peg into this round hole. You're welcome! I, uh, I'm a millennial by like just a couple months. Um, so my generation is the generation of people who were either college or younger when, uh, when September 11th happened. And so I was, uh, next slide please. I was, uh, I think a junior in college and I uh, woke up. This is now, it's just over 20 years ago that this happened. And, um, I woke up uh, to the pounding on the door of the students. I was like overseeing a bunch of freshmen in our, in our dorm. And they were like, Tom, Tom, we're going to war. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I rolled out of bed and 
went and looked, and one of them had like a, one of those 15-inch you know, TV screens with the rabbit ears, and we were watching uh, the second tower fall. And everyone was sitting there being like, what? Why would anyone do this? This is crazy. And so uh, later that week, I think it was the next day, maybe the following day after that, I had class again. And uh, one of the guys in the class was a friend of mine. He was the center of our basketball team. He's from Nigeria. And we were having a discussion about, you know, September 11th, as everyone was. And, uh, and somebody said, I don't understand why anyone would do this to us. And it was an us thing. It was like, clearly this was a shot at America, right? And so the center of our, of our basketball team, he lived across the hall from me, he said, well, you don't understand that um, you Americans think that you're generous, kind, loving people that are always doing good in the world. That's what you think about yourselves. He's like, well, the rest of the world kind of hates you. Um, and they, they think that actually what you do is you exploit and you take advantage of us and, uh, to get rich. He's like, and I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's the perception in Nigeria, where I come from. And also, uh, you add to that um, some religious fervor. And uh, if, you, if you're like a part of radical Islam, for example, if you're radically Muslim, uh, you don't just dislike America. You actually think that America and everybody in it should die because you are 100% against the will of God. And he's like, so, so when you, because we were all talking about how, like, you, you remember those videos, for those of you who are uh, old enough, um, where, like, they'd have videos of people in Pakistan cheering, you know, death to America, right? Like, like yes, woohoo! We just killed 3,500 Americans, yeah! This is awesome! If you remember that, it was just, it was shocking. You're like, who, who would celebrate the death of 3,500 people or however many it was? Like, that, that's, that's the sickest thing I've ever heard. And then, and then, uh, this dude from Nigeria, he's like, you don't understand. Uh, th- this is good. This is the best possible thing that could happen because you Americans, you've transgressed every rule that, that the God of Islam has put in place. See, Jesus understands that it, it, yeah, it starts in the pit of pride. And it starts with simple things like, you know, excluding, oppressing. Uh, but but it, it, it doesn't take long for that to graduate to horrible crimes. Murder, adultery, sexual sins, thefts. Lying in court, gossiping, insulting, tearing people down, ruining their lives. It, yeah, it starts, it starts, ah, I'm great and everyone else is not. And, but, but it's so easy to just slip over and, and to have this corrupt heart bring up these evil plots designed to hurt and kill. Is it any, is, is it, is it not interesting? That the, the Pharisees and the religious elites, after they put this man who apparently loved the, the poor and the excluded and claimed uh, that God loved them too, uh, they, they tortured him and murdered him. And they were proud of themselves. Because he deserved it. It's 
It's the next thing on your note sheets. The pit of pride produces evil plots. And these are serious plots, friends. Go uh, back to the text, Marilyn. Listen and understand. Jesus is saying, like, you, you, you don't just hear the words, but really get to the core of what I'm telling you. It's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean, unholy, whatever, in God's sight. God doesn't care about what you eat. He doesn't care about these rules that you've set up that show that this person's better than that person, and this person is allowed to go to the temple and worship God, and and this one is not, and this person is allowed to participate in the economy and be uh, well thought of, and and this person's not, and this person is allowed to uh, commune with others, other Jewish people, and this person is not. Those rules that you have that are are setting up these hierarchies, no, that's not what makes you clean or unclean. In Luke, we read um, that the first people uh, who come and see Jesus uh, are the shepherds, right? I have a little picture of that. We know that uh, Jesus is born in uh, circumstances that are pretty gross and pretty um, low. And of all the people in the world that God could have announced this event to. He picks shepherds who are very likely to be very unclean by the rules of the day, who are very likely to be low in status, looked down upon, as poor as we. But they're the kind of people who are just, they know they're not together. They know that they're not as good as the elites and the wealthy and everybody else. But they're looking for a miracle, you know? They're looking, they're like, like God, I just, I just want to worship you, to recognize your glory, your majesty. I know I'm nobody. I would love to be a part of you changing the world. I know I'm not much to look at. But I really do adore you. And I would really love to see you do something amazing. And those are the people that the angels sing to and announce to. Those are the people who come and they kneel and they worship the newborn king. Because they're simple. They're humble. They're not out to win whatever prize you get for being the best religious person. They just really believe in God and they really, really believe that God can do amazing things and they want to be a part of it. That's it. They just want to worship God. They, they just want God to be in control, for God to do what God's going to do. For them to just say, God, you're amazing. You do it. That's, that's, all, that's it. That's all, that's all we ask. Just because they didn't eat the right meal wash their hands at the right time 
be successful, whatever. Just because of those things, they're not excluded. In fact, they're the first ones invited to worship the king. It's the last thing in your note sheets. What God really wants is not perfect people. He wants sincere, humble worship. doesn't matter if there's 300 or 2. It doesn't matter if there's wealthy or poor. It doesn't matter if there's white or black. It doesn't matter. All the things that we set up, the rules and categories that we filter people, God doesn't care. And I think uh, for, for us here, the, the, the question is, you know, are we, are we in a pit of pride? You know, are we there? Are we in a place where we're looking down on other people because we've got it figured out? One way you can tell if that's the case is you can look around and see if there's people around you that have been wrecked. Right? Because if you are in this place where you're, you figured it out, you are going to be... And there's going to be wreckage around you. There will. And honestly, the, the, the scary thing is, most of the time you're going to look at that wreckage and be like, yes, they deserved it. But that's not what God's after. And that's not who we're going to be. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, long in compassion, long-suffering, patient. You are a good and amazing God. A God who doesn't hold us to account for being almost perfect, but not quite. Instead, a God who saves and wipes away every smudge, every sin, in the coming and the death and the resurrection of your Son. God, may we be a people not bound up by rules, not convinced that we've got it all figured out. Instead, may we be sincerely just humbly coming to worship you, to follow you, to be surprised by you. May those of us who are caught up in in the pit of pride, God, may you break our hearts. Show us the places where we're hurting people and, 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 and well up in our hearts compassion for them. God, may our hearts not be contaminated. May, may the, the, the words of our mouth not be these evil plots that lead to murder and illicit sex and thieving and gossiping and lying insulting. Instead, may our hearts well up with a desire to worship and love you and love others. And may you invite us, God, again to worship your son, the king who comes, who lives in the neighborhood with us, and then who dies for us. In whose name we pray. Amen.